Good morning. Can we turn to Matthew chapter 9, please? Uh, while you're turning there, uh, we're going to be looking this morning at the call of Matthew and the dinner that Jesus has with the tax collectors and sinners. Uh, you can think of this uh, study as a dinner with sinners. So Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9, it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's commit our time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another opportunity uh, to study your word. We thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did, and what he does now. And we pray, Lord, as we study this passage, that we will learn more of our Savior and even be more like him when we're done. Uh, Lord, we just ask you to bless this time, and may your words be spoken this morning for your glory and for our edification. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. I was moved by this passage, um, not because of Matthew, who's also known as Levi, but because of the other people that were there. Uh, I began to think about the people who were invited to this dinner. And uh, this passage, is this story is also recounted in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5. But we're going to focus, I think, mainly on the Matthew um, story for this morning. Uh, but you can look at those if you want to harmonize your, your Gospels and, and see the different stories. Uh, Matthew 9, Mark 2, and Luke 5 is where the passage is found. This story of Matthew, also known as Levi, being called this tax collector. And I think this is so early in Christ's ministry and in the call of the disciples that there's a wonderful picture here of what Christ is going to make but there's an illustration here in this meal, in this time uh, with these people. Uh, Christ are begging for more intimacy with him. They've been following him and they've been listening to him. He's just done um, the healing of a paralytic. Um, he's also done the healing of a leper. Um, he's done other miracles. So people are starting to come. He's healed many people. The, his fame is spreading and so they want to follow him. That's why Matthew was so quick to jump up. He's heard of this Messiah, this potential Messiah, this rabbi, and even him and his other tax collectors want to come and follow him. So what we have here, sitting together in a meal, um, you know, in, in Luke, it even describes that Levi or Matthew is the one who's throwing the dinner and he invited a lot of his other tax collector friends. But that's not all who that's there. This is not just a meeting with just the tax collectors association of Capernaum. This is... Um, Jesus sitting with other people who came and sat at the table as well. And they have a label. They're not tax collectors. Uh, they're sinners. So what we have is, is a group of unwanted, unaccepted, unqualified, unloved, and maybe even undignified outcasts sitting here with the Christ enjoying fellowship. It's not just a teaching on the mount or that's just going to come soon or any of the other kind of teachings he's done in the public square. This is sitting down 
And as we all know, because we do it all the time, it's a habit that we have. When you sit down around the table, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's other believers, um, that's a time of fellowship. And fellowship uh, is a time of intimacy. It's a time of really opening up and talking and having interaction and getting to know one another. And this is who Jesus is sitting down with. These people who are kind of outcasts in the society, they're going to become, this is a picture here of something that's going to come um, that Jesus is going to give a very special name to. Um, this picture really is the church. Um, Christ is going to call it his body. This group of malcontents and, and, and lost souls um, are what he's going to call together. And what's going to happen is this intimacy is going to help them develop something of oneness. They're no longer a bunch of people scattered who no one wants and don't belong anywhere, or as tax collectors, completely hated by everyone. Um, this is a group that now is going to have a, a sense of unity and purpose, and it's all going to be centered around Christ. I wonder what, <clears throat> early, early on, <laughs> what, the, what the mood of the room was like. Um, you, know, you have the tax collectors who know each other, and they're all probably hanging out. But you got to wonder, um, was the thief kind of sitting in the room going, oh, I can't believe there's a drunk in here. And, and is the drunk sitting there going, wow, I can't believe there's a, a prostitute sitting in here. Is the prostitute thinking, if those two guys knew a, a thing about my life and walked a mile in my shoes, man, they wouldn't be so quick to judge. But at least I'm not a tax collector. Everybody thought, at least I'm not a tax collector, um, the most hated and vile of the society, um, for they were the ones who um, exploited and extorted their fellow brethren, their fellow Jews for the Romans, and got to take extra taxes and keep it for themselves, um, stuff we've all learned and, and know before. Um, but now they're all drawn in together. And when you sit around a table together, there becomes a sense of equality. We, we don't have the ability to separate ourselves into our own little organizations. Now there's a oneness for all these people. And it, it, uh, it draw my eyes to Romans 15 uh, when Paul encourages the church. In verse, Romans 15, verses 5 through 7, he says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. This universal acceptance and equality in the body is something that we all desire today. But there's a picture of it here, because all these people are coming from different places, with different problems and different backgrounds. But they all share one thing in common. They're sinners. Even the tax collectors who have a special label. They're all people in need of something. And Christ is going to actually explain that when he responds to the Pharisees. So there's there's a something special going on with this group. There's a beautiful picture of this group who really don't belong anywhere. They don't belong anywhere. Even the different groups of sinners don't like to hang out with each other um, because they can't trust each other and, and there's different problems and, and just different labels. Uh, but Christ brings them all together. And so they're enjoying this wonderful time together. And as far as we know, it's going great. They're enjoying each other's fellowship, getting to know one another, and they're listening to, to Rabbi teach, to Jesus. And they're learning and they're growing, and he's teaching and he's sharing with them, and he's telling them something important. But he gets interrupted. The Pharisees see him sitting with them. They're not hiding. 
Anyone could see Jesus sitting with these people. He's not ashamed of them. He's not ashamed to be seen with them. They're certainly not ashamed to be with him. He's already getting labeled as a, as a rebel, right? But they, they, they love to be with him, and they're willing to sit with him, and he has no problem being seen with them. And so the Pharisees come along, and they say, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Their self-righteousness exposes their hearts, right? There's a judgment there. They didn't seem to have any problem with Jesus when he's teaching out in public to everyone and anyone because everyone kind of fits in, everyone blends in. But now when there's a separation and Jesus is calling people specifically to him and people that everybody know are not holy and righteous and perfect and pure, wow, why would you sit with those people? Their self-righteousness exposes their hearts. I always wonder, and I don't really know the answer, I have to kind of guess a little bit, but how do the Pharisees get this way? They have a zeal for God, I'm assuming. They've given their lives to the Word of God, to studying it, to teaching it. So where does their heart come from? Well, it seems that their hearts are more committed on their special place because they think they're special and their their heart is not fixed on the people. And that's what Christ is going to teach them. See, their problem is that Christ has intimacy with them and he has fellowship with them and he's willing to be seen with them. And let's let's note this because it's very important. This judgment, um, this criticism... It comes from the outside, not the inside. Inside, there are a room full of sinners fellowshipping with a rabbi. But outside, outside in, there's judgment. I hope we can remember that uh, once you're in, there shouldn't be inside-inside judgment. There should not be inside-inside judgment. Let the outside to the in judge the way it wants. But once you're in... You're accepted and you're loved and you become part of the family. So the judgment has to go out the window. The judgment has to be put aside. Judgment has to be forgot. So in this judgment, what's beautiful here, absolutely beautiful, is who responds. It's Christ. Christ is the one who defends them. They don't have to defend themselves. Maybe they don't feel they're worthy of defending themselves. I really don't know. But I think it's an absolute uh, beautiful encouragement and lesson to us that when those who are followers of Christ are judged or criticized, let Christ defend us. Let Christ speak. We don't need to. Let his truth speak. Let them find that their words have no merit. Let them find that they're, um, they're empty words, that they have no basis or merit. It's just, they're just hiding their pride and their self-pride and putting, trying to put it on someone else and not look at themselves. Psalm 511 says, Let all those who rejoice put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. So these people have been called these names their whole lives. 
They've never been accepted. The tax collectors very well may be tax collectors because that was the best thing for them because they were never accepted. Or once they, they didn't know anything about God, and this was the best opportunity for them, it seemed like a good idea. They had no idea what was coming with the complete rejection of their society of them for doing what they do. But all the other sinners, some of them had to make hard choices. Some of them put in bad situations. Some of them just fell hard. Didn't have a support system, didn't have love, didn't have nurture. There's so many reasons why they ended up in this place where they're labeled with this thing called sinners. But they're clearly marked and known. It wasn't like, who's that guy sitting there? They all know they're sinners. They can recognize them right away. But Jesus defends them. I'm also encouraged and reminded in Psalm 23, when David writes, you prepare a table for me, in the presence of my enemies. You. God, you set apart a place for me where I belong with you. When I'm judged, when I'm unaccepted, when I don't feel like I fit in or belong, it may be, it may be fair judgment, it may be unrighteous judgment, but it doesn't matter. I just don't feel like I belong. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. There's a protection and there's a serenity and there's a peace that comes with knowing God that he accepts you in. He accepts us in and gives us a place to be with him. And that's the only place we need to worry about being. That's the only place we need to worry about about being. Now, as I mentioned, Jesus has just healed a paralytic uh, and a leper and many other people. So I think it's it goes to speak why he's using this analogy of why he's there and what he's doing. He uses, those who are well have no need of a physician because he's been healing people. This is a picture that's in everyone's mind. They're going to recognize this is, we're here because we've seen this guy do miracles of healing people. Jesus calls them sick. You know, the sick kind of annotates, connotates a an understanding that the root of this problem is not really their fault. They may have made choices. They may have done bad things. A lot of different reasons. You know, We don't know who they are, so it's hard to go through every case by case. But to end up in that place is because they're all guilty. They're all suffering um, from something that is really not their, the cause is not their fault. And that's kind of how illness happens. Aside from you know not taking care of yourself and, and developing some some kind of thing that comes from from a, a lifestyle, but you know most sickness and illness just comes um, because there's a root there in, in the human body, and there's the same thing as the problem. This is what Jesus is talking about. The problem is in the heart. The problem is in the heart. The reason he called these people to sit down was to teach them about the kingdom of God, to let them know that they are loved that God has sent His Son for them. And they no longer have to be labeled sinners. We'll talk about how He does that in a second. But Jesus uses the label sick. But they are drawn into Christ here in this special moment. And He's going to give them a lesson. And Christ quotes... Hosea, when he says, go and learn what this means, 
I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If these Pharisees and scribes are as devout studies of the word, they'll know who Hosea is. He is a prophet who had very, very harsh words for Israel for the way they were living at the time. And this whole idea of I desire mercy and not sacrifice comes from the fact that they're just like the Pharisees of, of Christ's day back then. They were more concerned with observances and not the heart of God. In fact, if you, if you look at that passage in Hosea, the Lord follows it up through Hosea with, I desire compassion, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt sacrifices. The knowledge of God. Not factual knowledge. Not historical knowledge. Personal relationship knowledge. Who is God? What is God's heart like? What gives him joy? What breaks his heart? Jesus is telling them, you need to go learn what that means. Because you are so consumed with who you are in your special place, and your self-righteousness, and your arrogance that comes from your study and your, and your glory of yourself. Jesus says, go know God. Because you may know you're supposed to offer this sacrifice on this day and offer this sacrifice on that day, and you have to wash your hands this way, but that's not knowing God. That's not knowing God. As Paul wrote to Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God. If he is the image of the invisible God, then right here, right here at this dinner, we can know God. We can know the real God. In his words and his treatment of these people, that's exactly what he's telling them to go learn. Do you see what I'm doing right now? If you know God, then this is what you do. You don't walk around going, why is he sitting with those people? Why is he healing on a Sabbath? Why did your teacher do this? Why did your teacher do that? They could look right at Christ and go, that is the Son of God. Everything he is doing is right in alignment with God's word that tells us who God is. The mercy for the poor, the compassion for the sick, the care for the, for the downtrodden, love, love. This is what we see right here in this meal. The knowledge of God, more than burnt sacrifices. In Christ, and in this moment, and through all the Gospels, obviously, we find the depth of who God really is and what His heart is, because Christ lives it out for us. Christ performs it constantly, in every way and everything. There's one easy way to know who God is and what He is like. To know God. Study Christ. God would clearly rather have hearts that think of others more than themselves over religious ceremony, especially when there's not even an understanding or recognition of what his heart really is. Christ will repeat this again uh, when he's accused uh, of eating on the Sabbath, and he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. When Jesus is questioned on what is the greatest law in Mark 12, 
And he says, as we know, to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. And then the other one's just like this, love your neighbor as yourself, right? The man he's talking to responds with, that is true. To love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus says, you have understood it well. Christ is living this out with this group. But Christ does not just leave it there with just a, everyone's accepted, come sit at my table. And this is one of the great misinterpretations I have seen, especially by those who have no knowledge or understanding like these Pharisees today. People have taken this story and say, look, Christ welcomes everyone. And he does. But look at what he says. There's a reason why they need a physician. And here's the reason. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's not that the righteous don't need Christ. Christ is labeling them as self-righteous. They've already predetermined that they know everything. And they're, and they're all set with God because they observe all things the way they're supposed to be done at the time and hour that they're supposed to be done. But as we've just looked at, they don't know God at all. So let's not lose sight of this important part of the reason for this dinner. Christ is leading them to repentance. All these people who are accepted, these sinners, Christ's motive and purpose for meeting with them, the whole reason why he came to the earth, is to lead them to repentance, to sit down with them and not just let them know that God loves them, but in the love of God, they can get out of this situation. They can change their life. They can turn around and they can follow God. Because everything they've been doing is keeping them from God. They've been living for themselves. Regardless of the cause or the reason, they're living for themselves. And Christ is here to teach them Look, there's a new way. You can start over. You have a fresh start right now through me, by me. And if you live for me, you will know things and experience blessings that you can't imagine right now. But you've got to stop and you've got to turn around. This life you're living, you can't continue. I'm here speaking as Christ at the dinner, I am here to tell you that God loves you, but you've got to change. He loves you, but you've got to change. And you're going to do that by following me. They need a change in direction in their life, their choices, their behavior, their priorities. Even the place that God has in their life right now all needs to change. That's repentance. But let's be clear, they didn't need to be well or righteous to receive the invitation. The invitation is open so that it leads to repentance. The big question now that everyone has to ask themselves, because Christ lays it down for me, 
There's two options. Are you righteous or are you sick? You got two categories. Two categories everybody falls in. You're righteous, which you think you don't need God, or you're already right with God by the things you're doing. I've worked things out so I'm right with God, right? Wrong. I don't need a God. Wrong, wrong. I'm sick and I need to be healed. Right. You're right. That's the heart that God desires. That's the heart that God will make whole. That's the heart that God will make new. Brothers and sisters, there's a beautiful challenge here. And it's after we've gone through this process, after we've accepted the invitation, after we've been drawn near to God, after we've repented and changed our lives and given it over to Christ so that He is Lord, there's also a challenge not to end up like a Pharisee. To be so consumed with anything that we lose mercy. Mercy has to be involved in all things at all times in every way. Everyone's needs have to be considered. Jesus called all these people in because he had tremendous love for them and compassion. And he did not need or expect them to be perfect when he called them. We have a an interesting balance. Uh, maybe a dichotomy is the right word. Every time we meet with the Lord... Because on the one hand, we always want to come to God with that understanding, and we want to live our life all the time with that understanding, with that truth that we are a new creation. We cannot hang on the past. What God has put past is gone. It's behind his back. He looks at it no more. We cannot live like people who are still sick. We cannot. But if we forget and neglect to remember what he has done for us and what he's taken us out of, we lose lose that generous heart that needs to remember what God has done, to remember the magnitude of what our redemption is, what the cost is, but also how much he's done for us. So I can't hang on where I was. I can't think about what I was all the time. I don't have that name anymore. What I was and what I did, I deserved that name, that label, that title, but not anymore. But I don't ever want to forget what God has done for me because I will lose the heart of gratitude. And when I lose the heart of gratitude, I will forget to be merciful and compassionate toward others who are going through the same things. And my time will come around again. No one is exempt or resolved, absolved from having problems or struggles all the time that we're here on earth. So mercy has to be remembered. Mercy above sacrifice. Mercy has to remember that others are more important than ourselves. Mercy remembers that others go through struggles. Maybe I haven't had one in a long time, but man, if I think that one's never coming again, that fall's going to be hard. But we can remember that time we received and accepted the invitation and, and maintain that heart that is so grateful 
and so thankful of what we've been redeemed from. And it could prevent us from this Pharisee-like heart of self-righteousness. I, uh, one of my initial inspirations of this passage was thinking about those people early on. I was trying to describe who was sitting at this table. Who are these sinners and what are they thinking when they first sit down before their hearts begin to change because they're with Christ? And I wonder if we ever, when we're sitting together, not in judgment, but in humility, realize who we all are sitting together. Who's sitting with you? And glorify God for that life. But also remember, I'm in here too. It's amazing. It's amazing. So brothers and sisters, I encourage us to remember the invitation, the call, the heart that was sparked when it was first received, but also to remember mercy for all, always, at all times. Let mercy be more important and a higher priority than sacrifice. May we show the love of Christ so that people know who He is through this, by these things that we do. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You for His offering of Himself, for His sacrifice, that we could receive this invitation all different kinds of people from all different places and all different kinds of problems and backgrounds and mistakes and be washed and made clean and start anew. Lord, help us to remember the specialness of that time and remember that we all have been through it. and We all need to continue in mercy and love and kindness and selflessness and not to be like the Pharisees, to not become self-righteous. Lord, encourage us and remind us in in our humility uh, to keep us humble, to keep us uh, selfless, and to glorify you in all these things in all our ways. Thank you again for this incredible, amazing love. And Lord, we commit this to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.